Hello, and welcome to the Burning Issue podcast. My name is Luke Walsh, and I'm the editor of the website endswasteandbioenergy.com. If you've listened to previous episodes in the series, firstly, thank you. And if you haven't, there are now 10 episodes to download. Secondly, you'll know my experience as a student working on a waste collection route and dumping the unsorted waste at a landfill site more than 20 years ago has shaped my outlook on waste management in the UK. Thankfully, over the past two decades, the UK has moved away from landfilling and one of the businesses that was an early leader and continues to be an innovator in the EFW sector is Viridor. Energy recovery expert consultancy Tolvig said last year Viridor continues to have the greatest market share by operator, processing a huge 3.2 million tonnes a year of waste, which is 21.6% of the UK's overall market. So in this episode, I'm talking to Tim Rotheray, Director of ESG at Viridor, on how the company continues to lead the field. We spoke just before the government announced a ban on the sale of nitrous oxide, which Tim said would come in, and also the most recent update on the government's carbon capture project, which confirmed the Runcorn site's progression, again predicted by Tim as one of only two EFW projects in the running currently. So let's hear what else Tim has forecast for Viridor and the wider EFW sector. Hello, Tim. Thank you very much for joining me. Hi, Ali. Very nice of you to have me. I'm sure everyone knows Viridor as it's one of the biggest EFW businesses in the UK. But can you tell me a bit more about your role, please? Yeah, so my role is the director of ESG, so that's Environmental Social Governance, which is a little bit like corporate social responsibility. So our plans, particularly for decarbonising circularity and safety and people in the business. So that's one part of my role. And then the other part is the government engagement and external communications. Talking about the government side of it, how do you see the economic and political market in the UK for Viridor at the moment? So the market and the interest around the circular economy, waste and recycling is really growing in a very positive way. There's an interesting link that was made recently by Chris Skidmore in his Net Zero review between delivering on the circular economy and achieving net zero. That link is critically important because our sector has often been a little bit out of sight and out of mind. People want waste to be gone and they don't want it near them and they want it to be away. And that's all very understandable because waste is, by definition, the materials we don't want anymore. But there's now a growing understanding that the way we use materials, how we dispose of them and what we can reuse is critical to our ability as people to live in a sustainable way. That means that Rather than it being a bit of a backwater, it's now starting to come front of mind in the climate debate and generally in the sustainability debate. And that's incredibly valuable. You mentioned recycling there. The latest figures for England show that the recycling rate has only gone up by 0.3 percentage points, which is pretty much stagnation. What needs to change? The government's identified pretty well what needs to change. The challenge is that since they identified it, we haven't actually seen any of those new policies implemented. So when we started, Michael Gove was Secretary of State for DEFRA. I mean, that is quite some time ago. Their resources and waste strategy was published and it very effectively identified the problems and looks to tackle all of the challenges that exist in recycling. So the first thing it says, right, you need some statutory targets to create an obligation. You need to address 
the fact that the problem of waste starts at the point at which you create material, which is the packaging reforms, and putting the producers of packaging more in control of how recyclable their material is and charging them for that. And you need to make it easy for people to recycle by making everyone understand what they need to do and removing confusion. Those are the three right solutions. But since then, none of those policies have been implemented. So the volatility in the prices of recycler, the challenges of investing in that sector haven't changed at all. And the effective incentive on exporting recycler under the PRN system has remained. They're really important challenges. And until we have the policy in place, arguably things at the moment are going backwards. Because what you have is a world where everyone looks out and goes, I can see some potentially sunny uplands, but right now, none of that change has happened. And I can't quite be certain of what that change is going to look like. So I'll just hold off investing. You mentioned the sunny uplands there. We could be heading for an election next year. So that could mean a change of government. When can you see the clarity coming in? Or is it too difficult to say? It is difficult to know precisely when we'll we'll achieve clarity. That said, Therese Coffey has been appointed as Secretary of State. She was the minister under Michael Gove when the Resources and Waste Strategy came out. And we started to see material movement. Now, there is a real opportunity for this government under those reforms to bring them forward and to start making the change right away. From a policy point of view, when I entered this sector and I saw the resource and waste and strategy reforms, I thought, this is policy manner from heaven. You have legislation, primary legislation, establishing legally binding targets, and you have a fully funded mechanism in order to implement it. Those two things are enough to achieve a policy result. The one piece that's missing is how you turn that funding of policy and the legislation into investable infrastructure contracts. And we haven't yet seen that. Now, if we can deliver that, principally through EPR and DRS, so Enhanced Producer Responsibility, the Packaging Reforms and Deposit Return Scheme, the Bottle Recycling Proposals, If we turn those two policies into that, we'll deliver. Just recently, the British Retail Consortium and others in the packaging sector have actually highlighted the limitations around EPR and particularly the fact that it doesn't contain a route to infrastructure investment. If that is solved, and that is a solvable problem, then we will start to trigger the investment that we need to deliver the recycling rates. And we will be able to quite quickly see a material change and to deliver on all the things that this government is concerned about in terms of growth, levelling up, those kind of key skilled green jobs. This absolutely plays into that agenda. It's deliverable, but we do need the policy. Sticking with the subject of policy, one of the things the government has actually done is its controversial electricity generator levy. And now it's estimated on a portfolio basis. So has that hit Viridor's outlook? The generator levy is based on these exceptional prices that we've seen in the market. But actually, Viridor, as an infrastructure company, works very much to minimise the volatility in what we do. And therefore, we hedge a lot of our power. And so we haven't benefited from those extreme prices in the way that you might imagine. 
sticking with Viridor now, you've been really active in the acquisitions market recently. I was thinking, is it actually easier to ask you if there's anything you're not interested in buying at the moment? Absolutely. We have a really clear focus as a business on what we're trying to do. We have a very clear purpose, which is to build a world where nothing goes to waste. And our ESG strategy effectively sets what our strategy is as a business. Decarbonisation and circularity in terms of what we're trying to achieve in this sector. Circularity around plastics, particularly, and decarbonisation, particularly in the residual waste space. And therefore, our proposed acquisition of Quantafuel is a perfect strategic fit with what we're seeking to do. Because we know that we need to find a route for sustainable treatment of the plastics that we see in the non-recycled waste and also for film. And we've committed on our circularity ambitions to achieve full circularity in the four major plastics by 2025. Currently, mechanical recycling isn't delivering that around LDPE, so that's the films, and polypropylene, which is often pots, tubs and trays and all the closures on the bottles. We can't get full circularity back to food grade material in both of those. Quantafuel's technology offers that route. So it delivers in terms of circularity, but because it's also treating the plastic packaging that's in the waste stream, plastic packaging is only 16% of the volume of waste that we receive, but it's 70% of our fossil footprint. So you can see how Quantafuel, plastic packaging, and then the other piece that we're looking at, carbon capture, all are brought together to deliver that strategic objective. It's good you've mentioned Quantafuel there. I understand you've been over to Norway recently to meet with your potential new colleagues because the deal's still going through as we speak, isn't it? That's right. Do you think Viridor could look at other overseas businesses to expand its portfolio? The focus in terms of Viridor is achieving that strategic objective. And so the reason that we've looked at Quantafuel is because it's related to the strategic objective rather than whether it's overseas or not. So the objective is for us as a business is how do we deliver strategically on the business? Now, Quantafuel you know, has got a really interesting technology for treating uh, non-recycled waste, and that's why we're particularly interested in their technology. We're sticking with the acquisition side. You've joined the Westfield EFW plant project in Scotland with Equitex in January, and I think last September you took home the Tilbury-based project from ESB in Essex. Can you tell us a bit about how they're going? So Westfield is inbuilt by HZI, a critical project for diverting waste from landfill. There's an interesting debate at the moment in terms of energy from waste and how much is required. For us, one of the key things that, in fact, government noted recently at the Energy from Waste conference was that energy from waste is the only technology in the residual waste sector with a clear route through to net zero through carbon capture. So when we look at energy recovery facility opportunities, our focus is on how do we ensure that we can divert maximum waste from landfill, end export and deliver that route through to net zero? You can't say anything about moving forward with building Tilbury yet? Not yet. There uh, to, to make announcements. No. <laughs> Fair enough. You were talking about the plastic recycling earlier. And obviously about a year ago now at Avonmouth, you opened your first plastic recycling facility. How is that going? It's going really well. The plant was opened, as you say, back in 2022, when we've been going through that period of commissioning and, and then ramp up. 
the challenge actually is the fact that we would like to do more of that. We'd like to build more facilities. The UK currently collects half of the plastic packaging that's placed on market and that half of it is exported. That means that a quarter of all of the plastic packaging that's placed in the UK isn't recycled or reprocessed in the UK. Now, the opportunity to reshore those jobs rather than exporting the material and the jobs and investment that goes with it but reshoring them and doing that in the UK is there and government reforms are explicitly designed and capable of delivering that response but that's where you get to this challenge that we have in terms of infrastructure investment so Avonmouth is doing really well we'd love to do more we've got to get the policy right. I think you said when Avonmouth came out there might be five more of those plants but how does that sit with Quantafuel's technology now? Could it be a combined one of the plants should the policy environment progress? So one of the things that we're really looking to do is follow the waste hierarchy and move up the waste hierarchy. So with the Avonmouth facility what you have is mechanical recycling of plastic and then with chemical recycling what you're dealing with is either the material that can no longer be mechanically recycled or material that cannot be mechanically recycled back to a fully circular product. So the two actually sit really well together. If you look at the wraps weight plastic hierarchy, they absolutely put mechanical recycling above chemical recycling, chemical recycling above recovery. That's exactly where it needs to sit. So our view is that these two sit together. Changing subjects slightly, I wanted to talk to you about nitrous oxide canisters because Viridor's done some campaigns to improve the public's knowledge of them. And aside from the health dangers of them, there's an added issue for EFW companies when it comes to processing them, isn't there? Yeah, that's right. So the canisters are being used as a legal high and they are often disposed of, just left as litter or disposed of in, in bins. At one of our facilities, we've been having them in the order of hundreds a week that we're managing to pull out the waste, but some still get through. When you put them into an energy recovery facility, burning at 800 degrees C, they explode. So that causes two challenges. The first thing is that when you have an explosion, an explosion sucks all of the oxygen out of the environment immediately around it. And when there's not enough oxygen, you create carbon monoxide. And that causes a a small emission spike at our facilities, which we can't control. Once it's on the grate, there's nothing you can do about it to stop it. So, So that's one challenge. And then the second is that they can cause damage. So if they cause damage to a facility, explosions, obviously the grates of an energy recovery facility is not designed to take explosions. It's designed to to safely burn and process waste. Those explosions uh, can damage the grate and that means that you might actually have to come off um, and stop processing waste. If that has to happen uh, repeatedly, there's a risk of actually diverting that waste to landfill, which then of course increases the environmental impact of of treating that waste. We've done a, a series of things. We've written to the association that represents the compressed gas producers highlighted the fact that these bottles need to be clearly indicated that they should be recycled. We're really pleased to see that some of the local authorities that we've been working with are now taking these bottles at household waste recycling centres. And there is some exploration from government as to whether it should be banned as a legal high. It's absolutely critical to get out of the waste stream because it's an environmental hazard. Hopefully the knowledge gets out there and people will understand. You didn't name the facility there, but I think it's the Beddington EFW plant. You're also in the process of expanding that facility, so it brings me quite nicely on to talking about that. The move hasn't proved popular with local authorities in South London, so why do you need the extra capacity there? London and the South East still is in a position where 
waste is being sent to landfill because there's not enough capacity to treat the residual waste in that area. That is why we're looking to increase capacity to make sure that we can divert the maximum amount of waste away from landfill. The philosophy that we have at Virador is that there should be as many energy recovery facilities as necessary, but as few as possible. And by increasing what you put through the energy recovery facility, then you actually reduce the total number of installations that are required. Staying with Bennington, the last time I heard the heat network there, it's connected to the old landfill site, not the nearly new EFW plant. Is that something that's likely to change in the near future? The heat network is connected to the landfill. Virador is really keen to develop heat offtake at our energy recovery facilities. It's a valuable tool in both decarbonisation and energy securities. That said, it's important that schemes are appropriately sized to their demand. And so the timing as to when the best time to, to connect that needs to be uh, agreed to ensure that it delivers the right outcome for the customers. You did mention that Virador is very keen on more EFW facilities to supply heat. Can you maybe give us an update on when we might hear some more details about new plants expanding from the heat side, not the waste processing side? Yeah, I think one of the things that we're really anxious to see is the detail on the government's proposals around heat zoning. The challenge with heat networks is that they're a natural monopoly, just like gas networks and electricity networks. The government and Ofgem have come out with um, some indications of some welcome proposals around doing two things. One is regulating the heat markets in terms of customer regulation. And the second thing is defining areas where heat networks are needed. And by defining those areas, putting in policies to de-risk the investment in infrastructure. That's exactly what we do in gas and it's exactly what we do in electricity. If we want to build new heat infrastructure, we need to de-risk it. That's really critical because that directly relates to the cost of the heat for those customers. So rather than us coming out and announcing, oh, we're going to do it here and there, what we actually need to do is work constructively with government to determine where heat networks are going to be built and then optimise our energy recovery facilities to supply heat in those areas so that the economics of investing in that heat network give a a fair return to the the investors in the heat network, but also ensure cost-effective heat for the customers. You just need the government to crack on, don't you? And I think maybe another area where you need the government to crack on with its policy is the carbon capture. Alongside heat offtake, obviously, it's the main initiative to decarbonise EFW plants. Viridor's involved in a number of projects on this front. How do you see it developing? The government's approach to carbon capture is a really good one. We've seen a few false starts. But this approach of the idea of using clusters and focusing carbon capture in the areas where there is a cluster of businesses and and operators who need to decarbonise through carbon capture because the processes that they operate are inherently difficult to decarbonise through other means is really clever. The fact that the government has supported HiNet and the North East project And we're really eagerly awaiting the announcement, which I think is coming very soon. In fact, by the time this podcast goes out, I suspect it might well be out. And we're eager to see what that announcement is. But it's the right approach. The critical development now will be getting the details of those contracts sorted. Carbon capture at scale, and we're talking about building a facility of over £400 million, capturing over 800,000 tonnes of CO2. This is not small change. Those kind of facilities are going to be bespoke. 
They are going to be based on the specific nature of that facility, what happening around it, particular individual challenges that all projects will face. And therefore, by definition, those contracts are going to have a degree of bespoke design within them, getting that right so that we deliver really good value for for the taxpayer, but also that we deliver investable projects is going to be absolutely critical. That makes a lot of sense. You mentioned the Hynet cluster there. Your Runcon facility, which is the largest in the country, is very close to that. And I saw you at the Energy from Waste conference recently talking about the carbon capture system there. Can you perhaps just give us a bit of an update on how it's going with Runcon in particular? Yes. So at the time of recording, it's in the second stage of the government's now three-stage process for selecting projects. We're very hopeful that we might go through to the final stage and we're very committed to building that project and making it happen. The project would be a carbon capture across what is actually two facilities, Runcorn 1 and Runcorn 2, capturing over 800,000 tonnes of CO2. And it's worth remembering that because energy recovery takes in a mixture of waste, half of our emissions are fossil and half of them are biogenic or natural sources, which means that effectively, if we complete that plant, we'll put a negative emission plant or climate positive plant. That's the plant that we're looking to build. As you say, it's within the high net cluster and we'll have a pipeline to take the CO2 out into the Irish Sea. That's the first project that we want to build. And then we have ambitions to do more in line with achieving a net zero business by 2014. We've got to the end here. And the final question I'm asking everyone that's on the burning issue is what is the question I should have asked you? And more importantly, how would you have answered it? I don't want to flatter you too much, Steve, but I think that you've answered, for me, what are the really key questions. (laughs) One of the perhaps key things that is interesting is where the politics is going. I think, for me, one of the things that I find fascinating and the discussion I've had internally is the future of this sector is entirely dictated by ESG. This is not about changing customer habits or things like that. The future of our sector is the fact that people are concerned about climate change, resource use. And therefore, for me, the big question that you have to ask yourself as a business in this sector is of where you're going, am I aligned to those two big ESG challenges? Now, five years ago, that was really not where the focus of the sector was. ESG wasn't talked about, decarbonisation wasn't really talked about. And all of a sudden, it's everywhere. And the investor community, the operators, the builders, everyone is talking about it. And that shift is really important. And when you look forward as a business in the sector, identifying how you align and realign your business to ensure that you're delivering in that trajectory is really important. I think that's a really good way to end things off, Tim. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Luke. It's a pleasure. All that remains for me to say is thank you for listening. And if you like this podcast, please do share it amongst your network or on social media. It really does help and it really is appreciated. And finally, if you want to learn more about energy recovery, go to the website enswasteandbioenergy.com where you can sign up for our free newsletters or even take out a subscription if you want to.